everyone. And for everyone online, good morning, wherever you may be and when, whatever hour of the night or day that you are watching this. We are going to have a wonderful time this morning because this is one of my favorite subjects of all. We're talking about foundation stones, the big picture, understanding the big story. And uh, I'm going to start off, often uh, what happens, the folks in the sound booth wonder where I'm going with a lot of stuff that I do. But if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 4 together. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, talking about Jesus, the Word of God, and when we talk about words, words are meant to communicate something. And if someone speaks to you in a language that you don't understand, you hear the words, but it doesn't register. And that's why the whole story from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ, the Word of God, communicated to us in many different ways. And then in John chapter 1, the Word becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. That shows you the heart of God to reach humanity. He wants us to understand what it is that he is doing in the earth so that we can cooperate with him. Talking about Jesus in verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is much more excellent than theirs. For to whom which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so it is the father's story that we're going to have a look at. It's his story to tell, and Jesus is the communicator of the story, and then the Holy Spirit comes along as the convictor, and he's the one that speaks to our hearts, and sometimes we say, I don't know what happened that day, but I just opened my heart. For example, all the young kids that were dedicated this morning, parents mark July 4th or 18th on the calendar and remind them every year you were dedicated in the house of the Lord on this day and as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord and that builds year in and year out in the heart and life of a child but also in the context of a family so when you're thinking about what God is doing in telling us his story and using his son and then the Holy Spirit to convict it's one God simply manifest in three distinct persons so that we can understand the story. And so I've followed Jesus now for about 45 years, and everybody said, ooh, that's a long time. And uh, I've heard this along the way. People have said this to me along the way. Pastor B, I need a word from God. I need a word from God. Well, the English Standard Version that we use has 7,500 and 
You ready? 757,439 words. God's going to ask you, which one do you want? He has made it very clear. And so when I say to you, this is my favorite topic, it's because from the very beginning of my walk with Jesus, I wanted to know the big story. I wanted to see the overflow from Genesis to Revelation through every different stage, what God was doing and how he was communicating so that I could put the building blocks together and have a solid foundation. And we'll talk about that more in a little while, but I hope you want to understand clearly the entire story. Because we hear people all the time say things like, well, the Bible's so confusing and it's contradictory and we can't understand it. And you Christians are talking about three gods and they have all kinds of mixed up ideas. But when you start to grasp the whole story, you know, one of the very first programs that I did here as a pastor was I took the church through something called Project Manna. I took them through every single book of the Bible we did it in a year, well, nine months, actually. And what we did is we looked, for example, in Genesis, what's the theme? Who were the characters? What's God saying to us? What's the response of people? And after a while, when you're going through something, you are reminded by the Holy Spirit of what others have gone through and how God has worked in their hearts and in their lives. And that gives you great confidence that God not only worked in their lives, but he can work in your life as well. And we know that all scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God. In other words, it's breathed out by him. And it's profitable for reproof, correction, and for training. Now, obviously in righteousness, but training is a good word. If I wanted to go to the gym and build up my biceps and have a big 18-inch bicep, I would have to train every single week. And I would have to lift those weights. I couldn't just look at my bicep and say, grow. I'd have to do something. And Christianity, as Kayla mentioned a moment ago, is about engagement. It's not about a spectator sport. It's engaging, allowing God to work in your heart and work through your life. And so I think for most of us, if we get the idea of the big story, then it sure makes our walk a whole lot easier. There was a professor and a pastor called Ivan Illich, and he was asked a question about how do you change a culture and a society? And he said, if you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. You've got to say something different than what the culture is saying for people to begin to realize there are other alternatives. And so we have the right story but what happens if we tell the right story a wrong way? All human stories, whether they're in print or whether in media of some form, have a similar template to the scriptures. There's a beginning, there's a crisis, and a villain enters into the story, and then there's a hero who brings a solution, and finally, hopefully, everybody lives happily ever after. We all kind of understand that kind of a story. And when we look at humanity, doesn't matter what nation, doesn't matter what culture, there are things that are common to all of us. And that is that we worship something. 
Uh, for some people, it's a small G God. For some people, it's a large G God. But we all worship something, and you want to find out in a person's heart and life what it is that motivates them, that causes them to get up in the morning and to understand where they're at in their journey. Uh, we all wrestle with who we are and who we want to become. That's a challenge for all of us. We all want to make sense of the world, both, both the good and the broken. When we look out at the news every night and we sometimes get so exasperated and what we're saying to ourselves is, where's the good in the midst of all of this? This is just bad news every single day. And most of us wrestle with the ultimate home question, is this life all there is to it? And whether it's religion, whether it's philosophy, there are worldviews that we hear about all of them are attempting to answer those questions in the heart of every single person around the world. I showed Joyce a chart the other day that there are many world religions, but they're often geographic. For example, when you look at Islam, it's predominantly Middle East. When you look at Hinduism, it's predominantly in India. And you see that, but when you look at Christianity, it's everywhere. Why? Because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And sometimes in preaching the gospel, it's simply having coffee with someone and we begin to share with them foundations. We start in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and we magnify God in the minds and the hearts of people and things happen. But there are four topics that we will deal with all the time in our life. One is origins. Where do we come from? What's this all about? Then there's meaning, because people don't want to get up every single day and live a meaningless life. And then there's morality. How many know that one's taken a real kick in our generation? And then we have destiny. And destiny's the one when some young pastors say to me, what's your favorite uh, service to preach? And I say, Funerals. And they kind of get, what do you mean, funerals? And I say, because every single person that is sitting there knows they're going to be in the box one day. And so they're thinking about their destiny. And I've got a very captive audience. They can't run. And so I want to share with them what this person's life was like, what decisions they made, and now where they are. If they're a Christian, I will say to them, to be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord. So when Scripture's in you, when you understand the storyline, it really helps you put those four things, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. So we'll talk a little bit about that. If you really listen closely to people, they're going to show and tell you who their God really is. Whatever it is that's motivating them, it's going to come out. They will also speak to you about their identity, where they get their identity from. And out of that identity comes their purpose in everyday life. They'll tell you what they think is wrong with others. Have you ever noticed that? They will tell you what's wrong with the world. Um, sometimes they will tell you what's wrong with themselves, but often you've got to rework at that one. We love to point at everything and everybody else, don't we? They will also let you know what they believe are the solutions to the problems that abound around them in their world. And finally, most people will wrestle with what's on the other side of death. Is this all there is to life? And so you'll hear this cycling as I'm talking today as we go through this, and, and it'll just keep reminding you the big story is a pretty simple story. 
but it is one that speaks to who we are and where we're at. When you open your Bible, you discover that God has woven this single storyline from beginning to end with a central hero, and his name is Jesus, and it's through 66 books. It's a consistent theme, and sometimes we need to take the artificial barrier down between the Old Testament and the New Testament and remember that it's one continuous storyline. And it simply unfolds through every chapter coming to a conclusion at the very end. The scriptures reveal to us as we study them who we are, why we exist, what makes life so messy, how to relate to the living God, and how everything will someday be made right. Aren't you glad? This is not the end of the story. The story is still unfolding, and you and I have a part in it. I teach a course here at Life Center called Apologetics, and we get into how do I really understand the Bible. So put your hands up, just one hand up. Put it up. Take your thumb and say God. Then your index finger, man. Then your longest finger, say Jesus. And then your ring finger, say cross. And the baby finger, say resurrection. So let's do it. God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. If you tuck that in your heart, allow God to write it on your heart, you will be in conversations with people and you will see where they're at. And you will be able to help them begin to understand that it always has to go back to God and man and then who Jesus is in the midst of it all before we can get to this cross and resurrection. So I hope that when those things are in your spirit, after a while, then it becomes very easy to share Scripture with others. In sharing, our biggest issue is that what do we do with the story? We know the story's right, but what is our starting point? How do we then communicate with people? Uh, when we have the wrong starting point, we can get ourselves in trouble because a lot of people will say, well, every religion says that. Every different group says that kind of thing. What makes your story an alternative story, as we heard in the beginning, what makes it different? And that's where we've got to start with God. When you think about a movie or a novel or a play, or, and all the good ones have a central arc and they have a storyline, and often Joyce will be watching a movie at home and I'll come in about 15 minutes into the movie and she's trying to concentrate and what am I saying? What's going on? Who is that character? What's that person's name? What are they doing? Why are they doing that? And then I get the look. Husbands, do you ever get the look? In other words, if you start at the beginning, then when you see these things, you understand what's going on. And that's exactly with the scriptures when we're sharing the story of Jesus. There are different characters in the Bible. There are different scenes, subplots, but each of them is serving this central story being told. Each of these is focusing on the central hero who is Jesus Christ. And in the story of reality, as I mentioned a moment ago, it tells us how the world began how the world is going to end, and everything that's important, all the events in between. Joyce and I watched the uh, Stephen Hawking's movie the other night. He was a professor in England that ended up with ALS in his body. 
great physicist, great mind, and his whole life, he was supposed to die within two years, but he lived to be 76 years of age, and his whole life was dedicated to understanding a brief history of time and of life. He wanted to know where time started. Imagine spending your whole life trying to figure that out. And if you're a person of faith, you've already got it figured out. Because faith sees things that the natural mind can't see. And when we're trying to help people understand the story, we've got to be patient with the struggle sometimes they're going through. It might be really easy for you to believe certain things, but very difficult for someone else because we don't know their journey. We don't know their story. And that's why engaging with people in conversation, we become better listeners than speakers. So we listen to where someone is at in their journey. And so as I was watching that, I just thought, Lord, is there anyone in this man's life that can share who you are with him? And it turned out his wife was a follower of Jesus. Go figure. Today we're going to look at three aspects of this story. We're going to start with God. We're going to mention creation, and then we're going to talk about something called rebellion. And if you and I were to bring Jesus into this generation and stand him on the platform, and we said, God, you took a selfie, and his name is Jesus. So you know as well as I do, when you see Jesus, you see God. Here's what it says in Colossians. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. In him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and, everybody say, for him. Remember, he's the central figure in the story. He himself is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So this verse gives us absolute confidence that no matter what happens in your life or my life or in the world, God has everything under control. Can I get an amen? You're allowed to talk in church, you know. And as a preacher, I like it when you push back. Sometimes you might say, amen. Other times you might say, ouch. But be engaged. So let me say it again. That, that verse gives us absolute confidence that no matter what happens in life, God has everything under control. Amen. Praise God. Now, that's easy to say when everything's going good. But can you say that when you get off the rails, when things go south, when it's just not working well, like the last 16 months? Lord, you have everything under control. You notice, yes, amen. You notice how the world shifted to accommodate all the changes that were needed. We go to the malls now, and they're starting to take all the stickers off the floor. It won't be long. We won't have to wear our mask anymore. 
In other words, there's lots of things going, but in the midst of it all, it doesn't surprise God. And so I want God to write in the tablets of your heart that he has everything under control all the time. Even when you have a conversation with someone and you walk away from that conversation and say, oh, I should have said this, should have said this, should have said that, he still is in control, speaking to the hearts and lives of people. Why? It's the Father's story, and Jesus tells it, and the Holy Spirit convicts the heart. In other words, the Holy Spirit taps on the door of your heart and says, you need this. And sometimes you think it's just you. But it's you saying in your heart of hearts, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in life and in my life, and I'm confused, and there's so many voices and so much confusion everywhere. And he starts tapping and saying, this is the way. Come, follow me. And suddenly there's a peace that comes that passes all understanding. So when we focus on God and this issue of creation and then the rebellion, we start to understand something. There's this arc and the story that goes all the way through from beginning to end, and that someday will, he will make perfectly right. In addition to all of those things, our story has a very unique starting point. And so it begins with the eternal God who is good all the time. He is good all the time. Even in situations where you think this is really terrible, he can turn it around and work it together for your good. That's the confidence we have in serving God so that nothing catches you by surprise. And that's the strength that we have. So if I look at the story, Genesis 1-1, here's what it says. In the beginning, God. Aren't you glad it doesn't say once upon a time? It says, in the beginning, God. And when you walk through the days of creation, it's amazing because it starts with light. Long before on the fourth day, he creates the sun and the moon. What's he doing? He's just magnifying his Shekinah glory. He's allowing light to come in the midst of the darkness. So when you study Genesis 1 and 2, and I hope you will when you go home, you'll find out that this mass was just a puddle of water. And it was dark and it was void, and God determined to create, and he spoke, and all of a sudden the world came into being, and it started with light, and then the firmament, and then dry ground, and sun and moon and stars, birds and sea creatures, and then finally land animals, and then the best of his creation, humanity. That's the God in you and I that serve. And then at the end of the sixth day, he said this, I'm going to take a rest because everything is complete. It's finished. You know when you do a job and you get to that last moment and you go, huh, it's done. You don't have to add anything to it anymore. And I want you to know in the creation story, when Jesus on the cross says it is finished, it's the same thing as God saying when he gets to the seventh day and rests, it's finished. Everything that I want to take place is set in motion now, and the whole of creation is meant to serve the purposes of human beings being on the planet. That's why we need to be good stewards of it. And I have provided everything, and so man, you take your dominion 
Take your rulership by serving and demonstrating my character in the midst of creation. Think about your own story. It doesn't start at your birth or even conception. Your story is tied to two other people's story. That story might be a love story, a tragedy, a horror of some kind, but there's no such thing as a self-made story. We are all interconnected as men and women, but not God. The Bible begins with God who's already present. He's the great I am before time, space, or matter were created. He creates the heavens and the earth in order to place human beings, his highest creation, into a world perfectly suited for every need. God sees it, and when he finishes creation, he says this, it is good. Say it with me. It is good. When he creates Adam, he says that is good. He is good. And may God write this onto the tablets of our heart. Genesis 1 says, God said, let's make man, let us make man in our image. That's the Hebrew term Elohim. It's plural. After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the heavens, over the livestock, all on the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Did you know that God even created the mosquito? Have you thanked God for the mosquito yet and said it is good? I don't know what for, but it's good. So he created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. In this very good story, God creates Adam as a single human being. And so you think he scoops up earth and he creates a physical man who is still not alive yet. God has to breathe into him the breath of life. And ladies, here's a chance for you to say amen. God created Adam, took one look at him and said, I can do better than that. And then he created Eve. Come on, ladies. Come on. Take your hands and put them together like this. When you think of mankind being created, it's one flesh. Because Adam was created from the dust of the earth, but Eve was created from Adam's rib, from his side, from his flesh. And then God said to them, now, male and female complement one another, and that's good. That reflects who I am in my fullness. And stay there in the story. God is good, creates everything for the purposes of humanity, creates a man, creates a woman from his side, then says to them, a man's going to leave his father and mother, and he's going to what? Cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Go back to the intent of God in the beginning for completeness. And so I want you to get it that in the Hebrew, a man is called ish and a woman is called ish-ah. 
When you put that together, you realize that humanity comes from one flesh, the flesh of Adam. When God creates us as male and females, ish and ish ah, isha means simply out of man. And so marriage unites the male with the female to essentially flesh out the one flesh principle. And a wife, an isha, cannot be anything but a woman. Her title means out of man. And a man did not come from a man. And so when you think of Eve coming out of man, <clears throat> the rest of the storyline unfolds in things like marriage and multiplication and blessing and ministry and service. All of that helps us understand why humanity is the way it is. And then you look at the animal kingdom and you see they're alive too, but they have one distinct feature that's missing. The animal kingdom, even though they are living beings, and you can have a little pet named Fufu, and you can have Fufu come and sit on your lap, and you pet Fufu, and they're wonderful, and it's all of that. But when Fufu dies, he doesn't go to heaven. I know, it's tough to hear that. That's where you can say, ouch. But humanity has a living spirit inside of us made in the image and likeness of God so that you and I can commune with the living God, that we can have relationship with him. That's why when you watched the worship this morning and you saw the intimacy that we were getting into in worshiping God, humanity likes religion because then we control it. But when it comes to intimacy with God, he controls that. And he calls us into his presence, and he calls us into his heart, and he opens his understanding to us so that we can walk with him every single day of our life. And then when we die, like animals do, they go in the ground, we go to be with the Lord because he's got an eternal purpose. And what we see in the natural is a shadow of what's eternal. So it's not going to be so different. It's going to be just complete. As we finish our story, God says you can eat to Adam. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. If you committed a murder and you were running from the police, how many know that they would keep tracking you until you paid the price for what you did? And so when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they partake of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they were entitled to everything except that one. But by partaking of it, a death penalty came on their lives. And as the representative head of the human race, that meant for every single person that was born, we would carry that penalty in our lives and it would have to be dealt with. So it's never God's intent that we live under the weight of being our own God, determining what's right and what's wrong. That single act that Adam and Eve did in the garden created a problem for all of humanity. And when you and I understand that, we have a God who is good. <clears throat> Adam and Eve commit sin, <clears throat> and he is still demonstrating his goodness because his plan the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, his plan is put into place to bring them back into his presence. So everything God is doing in the earth right now is because he's good. 
Everything he's doing reaching out to human beings is because he loves them. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we don't rail on people's behavior. We bring to them the goodness of God. We bring to them an understanding of his heart for them and his love for them. And that's why sometimes even people who have committed heinous crimes and a chaplain sits with them and begins to share the love of God, their heart breaks because they see what they have done and how wrong it is. And yet, even in the midst of that, God keeps reaching out to them. And so, Genesis 2.18 tells us that it wasn't good for man to be alone because in loneliness, sometimes in our wounded places as human beings, we do terrible things. And a lot of injustice is created in those moments. And when that happens, we realize Adam and Eve started to understand good and evil. God wanted to protect them from evil. So there's something else in the story. And uh, Justin Buzzard, he's the lead pastor of Garden City Church in Silicon Valley. He says, of all the religions and belief systems and narratives in the world, only Christianity says you're made in the image and likeness of God. From the very beginning of creation, God has defined you with two words, very good. Did you know that? So the next time your husband or your wife gets on your case, just say, I'm very good in God's eyes. I may not be in your eyes right now, but I'm very good in God's eyes. Sadly, most people will spend their whole lives trying to be good enough. This has profound implications for all of us when it comes to our identity. If your story starts with, in the beginning, you, it's entirely different than in the beginning, God. And this is where many followers of Jesus get the story right. They have it in their heart, but they communicate it poorly or they communicate it in a wrong way. First, oftentimes we start telling the story from Genesis 3 on. We start telling people why you're a dirty, rotten sinner. We tell people what the Bible says you're lost and going to hell. I remember telling my mom and dad that. I sat in, in their house after I got saved. I said, Dad, Mom, you're going to hell. How many know you don't win friends and influence people? It may be a truth, but they're not ready to hear it. And you ought not to be ready to say it unless you understand exactly what you need to say. And you don't want to say to someone, let me tell you all the things that are wrong with you. Because when you start that, the guard goes up. We could be more fruitful by allowing Holy Spirit to magnify the goodness of God by saying, let me tell you about them. Let me start right at the very beginning. And he's going to help you with this issue of good enough. He's going to help you with this issue of identity. He's going to help you understand who it is. And then the dots are going to get connected. And when those dots get connected, all of a sudden, people are going to start to have an aha moment. You know what an aha moment is? You're sitting there listening, and all of a sudden, you go, uh-huh, I get it. I think I understand that. And I remember when that happened to me. I went to a retreat weekend with all the wrong motives, and God was able to work through those motives and speak to the issue of my heart. 
And I remember opening the Bible and starting to read it, and he started to give me answers to the questions about my life and my identity, and that how could you possibly be good, God, when you did this and destroyed my marriage? I mean, I would like to blame God for stuff. And instead, I came to the realization I wrecked my own marriage, and God wanted me to have a wonderful marriage but I didn't have the tools to know how to be a husband and how to be a father. Even though I was a husband and I was a father, I had an empty toolkit. And so God needed to then build some things into my understanding so I could cooperate with him. And so there are going to be lots of voices that you're going to hear in your generation. But let's begin at the beginning. Let's introduce people to God and how good he is. And this story of humanity starts with him in his creation and why he created us and why he wants relationship with us and why he wants us to be with him all the days of our lives. And we will eventually get to Genesis chapter 3. We'll eventually get to that place. we got to be very careful in sharing our faith that we don't skip over Genesis 3 because then it won't make any sense. We need to teach teach people that there is something called sin, which is a breach in the relationship with God. And then we help them with identity and sexuality and relationships and all of the things that we need to live a wonderful life together. We affirm how humanity is created in God's image, and we don't want to ignore that humanity also rebels against God and want to bring that in. So when I say to someone, in God's eyes, you're very good. Then as the conversation continues along, but there's a problem. We have to deal with something called the penalty for sin, which is death. And the only way that that can be dealt with is through the person of Jesus Christ. And he's the one that bore our sin on the cross. That's why Jesus goes to the cross. And so rather than Starting at the beginning and then skipping over the problem, we start at the beginning, we address the problem, and we show them the solution, and we let Holy Spirit do the work. That's where Genesis 3 says there was a serpent in the garden that was very crafty. And he starts saying things to Adam and Eve, taking God's word and skewing it, distorting it, lying about it and helping them buy in to this false narrative. And so next week, we're going to look at the battlegrounds that we go through. But I want you to know that in this world, we are not alone. We are dealing with God's spirit in the world. We're also dealing with an enemy in the world who's an adversary against God. And please understand, Satan and God are not on the same page. In other words, God is creator and Satan is a created being. They are not equals. You get that? They are not equals. And so when you and I look at life, we understand the story of redemption in, is not in one sense a cliffhanger to the very end, a tale, the outcome of which is uncertain until the last page is turned. No, the precise nature of the serpent's destiny as the lake of fire is not disclosed until Revelation 20. But from the outset, his doom is sealed. 
In other words, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to commit your life to? Christian discipleship is to be worked out within the context of the assurance of victory rather than the prospect of defeat. We are to be equipped and ready for battle, but with the certainty that the decisive battle with the enemy has already taken place and it's already won. So the big story of Scripture, God creates the heavens and the earth. He created us. We are good. He loves us. He cares for us. There's an enemy in the story, and we want people to know the truth of the storyline so that we can start engaging with others and watch them come to faith in Christ. Every single one of us that are here today and watching online, somewhere along life's journey, Holy Spirit started convicting us. And we opened our heart to God. We may not have understood everything, but we knew our need for him. And so we opened our heart to him. So when you understand that, then you'll be able to answer those questions. Where did I come from? What went wrong? How is it fixed? And then what is my purpose? I believe as I finish, Romans 8 says it well. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. May we tell people the whole story of Genesis 1. May we not skip over Genesis 3. May we see that we are not alone in the world. And next week, as we look at these battlegrounds, I'm going to give you 35 names of the enemy so that you can see all the ways he tries to distort the good things that God is attempting to do in human lives. Let's all stand together for a moment. I want you to put your hand over your heart. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you started to realize, I didn't know this story, but the story is starting to make sense to you, could I encourage you, say, Lord, touch my heart. You've touched my mind with your words this morning, but, Lord, touch my heart because my heart needs you. It needs to be softened to be able to allow you to speak to my heart. And you can give your life to him. And when you do that, wonderful things will happen. If you're here this morning and you're watching online, and you just know, maybe my understanding of the goodness of God has been somewhat skewed. But today, I want to affirm in my heart, God, you are so good. And you were good to me. And then all the lies that you've believed over your lifetime about your identity and meaning and worth and value, today will be the day you'll say, Lord, I am so valuable to you that you were willing to send your son to the cross on my behalf. And so, Lord, today I want to say thank you that you have made me in your image and in your likeness to know you and to walk with you. And so with your head bowed, your eyes closed, your hand over your heart, I want to pray 1 Timothy 1.17 over your life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And Father, thank you that you are good all the time. 
Thank you that you tell the story truthfully so that we can make decisions with clarity. Thank you for loving us just the way we are, but loving us enough not to leave us the way we are. Grow us up, Jesus, to be more effective in sharing you with others. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Caleb? Caleb?